Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're looking at Psalm 66 and Romans 13 today. I'd like to greet everyone this morning, whether you're in your living room or somewhere where you're hearing this message, I pray that it will be a great blessing to you today and an encouragement. I've been up most of the night because I'm excited about this message. It hasn't changed. I'm just excited about it. And so in the next few minutes, I hope you'll be as excited as I am about what God has to say to us today. Jesus, I pray today that you will bless the preaching of your word that it will build faith in people's lives, that it will bring them encouragement, that they will have a clear and and a sound that they know comes from you in a direction, Lord, that lights their path. Help them, Lord God, to draw closer to you, not be troubled, but to totally trust in you with everything. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read to you from Psalm 66, I just want to make this one remark so that it will make sense to you. In 1973, Rick and Liz Kylie were only a little over two years into their marriage, and uh, we had lots of problems early in our marriage, primarily my fault. And uh, I got into a lot of financial difficulty. Credit cards were relatively new, and to me, credit cards meant it's free. You just slide this card, and you walk out of the store with the product. Isn't that great? I didn't really think about the percentage that we were going to be paying, 18, 21%. Almost like the mafia, isn't it? That you pay back so much more than you borrowed. But it was a, a tremendous problem for us financially. And so I went to the Lord, and I had a prayer similar to what I'm going to read to you from Psalm 66 and 16. Listen to what David said. Come and listen, all you that fear the Lord. And let me tell you, that's what I'm going to do today. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. But God surely listened. And he heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. And then Romans 13, one verse, the eighth. Owe no man anything. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And today I want to speak to you for a few minutes on paying your debts. You may be seated. When a person gets in real financial trouble, it will bring fear and torment to your life. Let me tell you how bad it can get. We were in $6,000 over our heads. When the phone rang, I felt a knot in my stomach. It was going to be another person telling me that I was behind on my bill or chewing me out 
or threatening me and saying, well, we're going to take this or, or we're going to garnish your wages or we're going to take you to court for what you've done to our company. I didn't want to go to the mailbox. Another threat from somebody else about bills. It is a torment to be in debt. It's not a comfortable feeling. But the Lord, gracious and merciful as he is, led me to the truth. And when we came to the truth, when we came to an apostolic church, Parkway Apostolic in Oak Creek, one of the first things we learned was how to get out of debt. I didn't have the Holy Ghost. Don't even think we were baptized in Jesus' name yet. But we were so desperate that we sat down with the pastor's wife and, and, and she said, let's take a look at your situation. And she spread it all out and she said, all right, here's the plan. And the first thing she said was, you need to put God first in your finances. First in your finances. Up to that point, God got what little might be left over and usually that meant nothing. But she said that Abraham in the Old Testament instituted tithing and God approved of it and promised the blessing would be on those that would put him first and yield to him the first 10%. Of course, that didn't make any sense to me. I, I enjoy math. And if you have nothing, you can't give 10%. That's where faith comes in. That's where obedience comes in. That's where trusting God comes in. Did you know that most governments in the world have followed the principle of Abraham to a much greater extreme? Do you know that before you ever get a paycheck, 25% minimum is gone? You're paying taxes and, and all kinds of things. Before you ever get one penny of your check, it is deducted automatically. You don't have a choice. It's a principle. It's a percentage. And they learned that from Abraham. Of course, they took it to an extreme, and you may not like the way they spend it, but too bad for you. You're going to pay it, or you're going to jail. And that's the way it works. So we learn two things. One, we learn to put God first on our budget. He's on the top of our list, the first 10%. The second thing we learn, we learn to be good stewards of our finances. We learn principles from the word of God as to how to distribute our funds. I'm thankful that in this generation, you're talking about Peace University and um, and it's, it's been a great blessing to many people. Financial Peace University and Brother Thorpe and I think Brother Sandin helped him for a while, taught this extensively to a lot of our families and we heard wonderful reports. In my day, we had people like that and that's where we learned. We learned how to handle our finances. If you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. You have to be a wise steward because debt will eat your lunch. 
Let me read to you about debt from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. When he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. That means he will now be a slave and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The entire family suffers from debt. It's not just the man, it's not even just the parents. The entire family suffers from debt. And this is a debt he can't pay. But verse 26 says that the servant therefore fell down, he worshiped him saying, Lord have patience with me and I will pay thee all. He put it all on himself. He said, have patience. He didn't mention his wife. He didn't mention his kids. He said, have patience with me and I will pay it all. But then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. Why would he do that? Because he saw the man's humility. He fell down. He saw the man's worship. He was worshiped. And then he said, and I will pay thee all. He didn't say, just erase my debt. Just, can you write it off the books? He said, I have every intention of paying every single penny that I owe you. I'm not asking for a free ride. I'm just asking for time and the ability to work off my debt. And the king was so moved by his humility, by his worship, and by his diligence that he showed him mercy and erased the entire debt. What a great and merciful God we serve. He is so merciful to us. How much has he forgiven you? Could you put a dollar amount on the debt that God has forgiven in your life? But then in verse 28, it said, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him 100 pence, or 1% of what his previous debt was. And he laid his hands on him, he grabbed him by the throat, and he said, you pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant, watch what he does here. He fell down at his feet. Sound familiar? And he besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. A carbon copy of what he had went through himself. But he would not. And he went and he cast him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants, verse 31, saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. 
And his Lord, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, you are a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Should you have not have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? His Lord was wroth. He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I have a question for you today. Does anybody owe you? It's one thing for you to owe a debt to someone. It's another thing for them to owe you. Does anybody owe you? Has anybody wronged you? Trespassing. When I think of trespassing, I think of being on somebody's property without their permission. Has anybody trespassed you? Have they walked into your life, done some things to what you own? Do they owe you? Where's my apology? Where's my reconciliation? Where's my restoration? Something was broken when you came into my life. You haven't repaired it. You owe me. Will you grab them by the throat? Will you make them pay every last penny after all that God has forgiven you? Listen to what Jesus said. This is just a portion of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, part of the prayer reads this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. <clears throat> deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And then when the prayer ends with the amen, the only thing he goes after is forgiveness. If you forgive men their trespasses, he uses a positive. If you forgive men your trespasses, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. The only thing he went after in the Lord's Prayer was forgiveness. And he offered a promise and a warning that fits this very situation. Do you know that you are a slave to unforgiveness? Remember how we talked about the mailbox and the phone calls? When there is unforgiveness in your life, you don't even wanna see that person. You don't wanna look at them, you don't wanna talk to them. If they're on this side of the building, you wanna be on that side of the building. If they're in the store, you act like you didn't see them and you rush away and stay clear of that area because there's unforgiveness there. There's unresolved issues in your life. It torments you. It causes you to have an upset stomach. It keeps you up at night. You can't sleep. It's torment. It's torment. But here's something. I'm stepping out on a limb. I'm not trying to start a new doctrine. And if you don't, 
you don't want to believe this, well, then that's up to you. But I have a question. Do you remember when you were baptized in Jesus' name? Do you remember what it felt like when you came up out of the water? For me, it was, it was over 22 years of sins washed away. All the things I'd ever said or thought or done washed away, put under the blood. Man, what a feeling. I, I mean, I felt so clean and I felt like I had a fresh start and I was just so invigorated to start my, my new life with only 22 years lived so far. Now I'm 69. And even after being baptized in Jesus' name, I've made some mistakes. I've had to confess some sins to God. I've had to make some things right with people. Those of you that have been at Abundant Life for a number of years have known that I've stood in the pulpit several occasions and admitted I'm wrong. I said the wrong thing. I handled this situation incorrectly. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna keep trying. But how many sins, if we're gonna keep score, have I committed over my lifetime? Is it possible that over these 69 years, if I can't forgive somebody, the little 1% that they owe me compared to what I have owed him, that all of my 69 years of sins come back to my charge. Now, Rick, am I the man in this story? Now, Rick, because you wouldn't forgive that person, all your debt comes back to you, and you will Pay it all. That ought to bring terror to your life. It brings terror to mine. That all my debt could come back to my life. Quite frankly, folks, they're just not worth it. It's not worth it. There are some things, you can write this down, be good for you to remember this. There are some things you can only keep if you give them away. The day you stop giving it away is the day you cease to have it for yourself. And forgiveness, that's one of those things. The day you stop forgiving is the day you stop being forgiven. Let's take a look here at this prodigal son for a moment. I'm going to jump into the middle of his story because I think most of you are familiar with it. Two boys, one father, no mention of a mother, treated equally. One day, one of the boys wants his inheritance, decides he doesn't want to live in his father's house anymore and wants to go out on his own, spends all of his inheritance ends up in a pig pen, nobody looks out for him, and he's starving. But verse 17 of Luke 15 reads this way, when he came to himself, when the light went on, 
when he finally saw the way things really were, when rather than the way he thought they would be, this is what he said. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, perishing with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father, I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. What has he got that these other characters that we've read about today had? He now has humility. He is humbled. He recognizes his wrong. And the first thing that he points out is that he has not just sinned against his father, he has sinned against heaven. And people have got to observe it. They got to see it. But ultimately our sin is first against God before it is against mankind. That's why we first have to give an account of ourselves to God. That's why. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no more worthy to be called your son. I'm not asking for anything but a job. Can you just put me in the bunkhouse with the hired servants? Can you just let me work from you for you and earn my way so that I, I can sit at a table and eat? And of course, once again, a gracious father restores because of the humility. What does the Lord require of me but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before God? That's what he wants. Humility is always the answer. It is the answer for unforgiveness. Wednesday, we talked about 12 words. Again, I'll remind you of the nine words I've tried to instill in you over the years for, uh, for dealing with offenses. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Taking it all on yourself, not putting any of it on them, just trying to get it right so that you can keep forgiveness and mercy in your life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Another one of those things that you can only keep if you give them away. The fact of the matter is, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That all means you and me. Romans 6 and 23, the wages, the penalty, what's owed, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me change directions here a little bit. What about spiritual debt? We're talking about financial debt, we're talking about forgiveness and mercy debts, but what about spiritual debts as well? We're gonna, we're gonna tackle that. 
Let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Pay your debts. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. You know that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is now come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. I don't have any money. I got two boys, and they're going to make them slaves to pay my debt. I need help. And Elisha said unto her, well, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what do you have? Not what don't you have. What are your assets? You've told me your liabilities. But you haven't said about anything that you have in your house. Well, I I don't have anything of significance in my house save this little pot of oil. Let me tell you what I think this represents. Oil is a representation of the Holy Ghost. It's used for anointing. A car cannot run with oil, without oil. Oil is to a car what blood is to a body. Okay? And oil, the oil representing the Holy Ghost, sometimes is all that you feel that you have left. You may feel broke, you may feel in a, in a dire situation, but at a minimum, everyone that I'm talking to that is a believer and has received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at least has oil in the house, in your body. You have oil. If you have nothing else, you have God and you have all you need. For a miracle. All I got is this oil. So he says, all right, if all you've got is this little pot of oil, here's what I want you to do. Go and borrow vessels abroad of all your neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when you come in, shut the door upon you and your sons, pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons and brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. That means it stopped flowing. Then she came unto the man of God and said, And he said, go, sell your oil, pay your debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. I want to be sure that you understand this story and what's happened here. The man of God said, okay, all you've got is oil, that's enough for the miracle. But here's something I want you to do. I want you to go to all of your neighbors. What if you don't have good relations with your neighbors? What if you're an unforgiving person? What if you're an angry person and you don't get along with anybody? 
They see you or your boys coming to their door. They might not even answer the door. But apparently her relationship was good enough with her neighbors that they were able to approach the door and say, hey, my mom sent me. She said that I needed to borrow any empty vessels that you might have. And she promises to bring them back. The vessels must be empty. God can't fill what's full. God's looking for empty vessels. And they're all around you. They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. They're the people you meet on vacation that you might meet once in a lifetime. But they're empty vessels. And they need to be borrowed. And they need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They need a relationship with God that forever changes them and delivers them from their unforgiveness and their sins and their iniquities. Aren't you glad for a plan of salvation that gives us an opportunity to repent, which means empty the vessel, to wash the vessel in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name and have every one of your sins remitted and then to take the empty and the clean vessel and fill it with the oil with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Isn't that awesome what God can do? But she had to take and do exactly what the man of God told her to do. Do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Can you picture it? Here's the vessels, lots of vessels, one pot of oil. How long is that gonna last? Shut the door. But by faith, she poured out her only asset, the oil. I'm talking to the church for a minute. Are you willing to pour out your oil? Are you willing to share what you think the little you have is? Are you afraid that you would be empty or that you would be rejected? then you'll never have a miracle because you gotta take what you have and be willing to give it away, to pour it into somebody else's life. Pour it into somebody else's life. I can picture her and her boys. All the vessels are lined up and she takes that oil and says, all right, well, here's number one and she pours it. And the pot doesn't decrease that she's pouring from. And the vessel is full and, and she's surprised, but it's working so she's gonna keep going. And pretty soon they have to slide the vessels over as fast as they can because we don't wanna waste any oil. I mean, as long as I've got this thing tipped over and as long as I'm pouring it out, vessels are being filled. So I don't wanna waste any oil. So boys, you, you keep them coming, keep them coming, keep them coming. And vessel after vessel is being filled with oil. And everybody's having a great time. I can picture some shouting and some hallelujahs. Like what happens at an altar when you see people receiving the Holy Ghost. Everybody's having a big time, aren't they? They're so excited about the oil being poured out into vessels. This is great. How long is it going to go on? As long as we keep pouring. 
So they keep pouring and they keep pouring and they keep pouring until finally they run out of vessels. Bring me another vessel, she says. We're out of vessels. And she looks at the pot and the pot is the same as it was when she first started. Maybe it's even a little more full. And she said, now what do we do, man of God? And the man of God said, you take that oil to your creditors and you first pay your debts. And then here's the bonus for your obedience. You keep the rest and you live off of it. You and your sons. See, you can't outgive God. God never gives the minimum. I said, God never gives the minimum. He always gives the maximum. The maximum. Go and sell it and live on the rest. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and it's not of us. It's not about us. We're just earthen vessels, frail and sometimes with fault, imperfect, earthy, temporal. I thought about this, about the number of people that have poured into my life. I hope you'll consider this with me for just a few more minutes. Jesus, your love that you've poured into me, your blood that you've shed for me at Calvary, why would you ever adopt a Gentile like me? I owe you everything. I owe you. I'm going to read some IOUs to you today. I owe you, Jesus. I owe you everything. I owe my parents. I remember my dad one day. He was a pretty wise guy. My dad said, son, I want to talk to you. Yes, sir. It was wintertime. You ever seen a snowstorm where the snow comes sideways? It's blowing so hard, you, it's a whiteout. You ever seen windows when you wake up and you pull back the shades and there's nothing but ice, you can't even see out of them, it's so cold? He said, son, he said, your mother and I have given you a bedroom. Do you appreciate that bedroom? Look outside. Oh yeah, oh dad, I really, oh I appreciate that bedroom. He said, would it be asking too much for you to keep your room clean and make your bed every day? Well, since you put it that way, dad, no, I, I guess not. He said, son, do you, do you eat three meals a day? Do you take a lunch to school? Eat breakfast and supper at home? Yes, sir. Would it be asking too much to set the table or to clear it after your mother's already cooked a meal for us? No, sir. 
you get the point? I could tell you story after story. I could go through every point. But the point is this. My parents took care of me for a minimum of 18 years. What do I owe them? How about some honor? Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. I owe. How about the guy that first invited me to a Pentecostal church? He took a chance. He didn't know maybe I'm some hard head. Don't want to hear it. Don't believe in God. Don't see any need of going to church. But that guy, he took a chance. He invited me. What if he hadn't? What if he'd have just said, eh, I'm not pouring out any oil. What if he'd have just moved along and said, I know that Kylie, he's a hothead, he's always looking for a fight. He wouldn't be interested in serving God. If he'd have passed judgment on me and passed me by, maybe I I wouldn't be here today. What do I owe a man like that? How about the guy that, or the several guys that sat up late at night and taught me home Bible studies and and let me ask all the dumb questions and, and put up with all of my mistakes in my early walking with God? What do I... What do I owe somebody like that? What is the value of that to my life? And what about the number of times that I've heard good teaching and and good preaching? What do I owe my pastor? In my case, what do I owe a Frank Tamil? And now what do I owe my current pastor Pastor Cordell, what, what do I owe the people and the number of people like Joseph Poli that got in the pulpit last Sunday morning and preached a tremendous message and, and the number of great ministers that have been in this pulpit over the number of years. What do I owe them? What's my I owe you to them? I'll tell you what I think we owe the ministry. I think we owe the ministry our prayerful support. I think we owe the ministry our financial support. They shouldn't have to worry about the building and all the other things and paying all the bills. We should do our best as a trustee board and as a congregation to be faithful in our giving and generous as to whatever God tells us to do so that they don't bear that burden. I think we owe the ministry encouragement I think we ought to walk up and put our arm around them and and be able to say, you know what, I'm praying for you. You're doing a great job. I love you. I appreciate the message today. Thank you for the hours you put into it. Thank you for the prayer and fasting you put into it. What do we owe? What do we owe the ministry? What do we owe abundant life? What do we owe the family of God? How many times have you come to an altar in a, in a great time of trial or tribulation and all of a sudden somebody was kneeling right next to you and they, 
they draped their arm around you. And they were praying for you. You were weeping. And so were they. Somebody cared about somebody besides themselves. They really genuinely listened to you and encouraged you and prayed with you and helped you. What do we owe the church? How many times have we been anointed with oil when we were sick? What do we owe? Here's where I'm going to stop today. I can tell you this. Uh, you, you could misinterpret this message, so I want to be sure you understand. The reason we do the things we do, the way we dress or the way we talk or the way we act, is not to get saved, but because we are saved. We are living, get this, you've got to get this. We are living the way that we're living out of appreciation for what God and others have put and given to our lives. Appreciation. Appreciation. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8 reads this way. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. And here's where I'll stop today. Luke chapter seven. Remember to pay your debts, folks. Luke chapter seven and verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose the one to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, You have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and he said unto Simon, you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou did not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth a little. And then he said unto her, your debt's paid. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus, help us to recognize that we came to you as debtors 
debts that we couldn't pay, bills that would have never been tackled with our own ability. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.